Good morning, and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. Today, we explore Maine's geological, cultural, and natural resource-based heritage and efforts underway to protect it, particularly in the Downeast region. Heritage is a fun topic for me to explore on Coastal Conversations because when we started this WERU program nearly six years ago, we wanted to provide a space on the airwaves to celebrate everything that makes the Maine coast such a unique place, historically, in the present, and hopefully well into the future. My guests today are deeply involved in all kinds of heritage projects. You'll hear from three inspirational and visionary Maine women, including Crystal Hitchings from Sunrise County Economic Council and Down East Acadia Regional Tourism, who's working on a National Heritage Area designation for the Down East region. You'll hear from Sarah Gibson, a native of Scotland who's relocated to Maine and is now a leader in the initiative to create a coastal Maine geopark. And Galen Koch, a radio producer and writer with The First Coast and co-founder of Maine Sound and Story. Before we jump in, I wanted to let our listeners know that this show was pre-recorded on October 5th, so we won't be taking any calls today. Let's get started. On the surface, it sounds like you're involved in really different work. We have Galen, who's involved sort of in the storytelling realm. We have Crystal, who's involved in community economic development and tourism development. And we have Sara, who's involved in geology. Um, and so what's going to be fun about today is finding the intersections between all three of those and learning about your projects. Um, so before we jump into the specifics of your project, um, I would love to hear from each of you a little bit about your perspectives on what heritage is, what it means, why we care about it, and how it connects to our communities. So why don't we start with Crystal? Well, so heritage are the sort of the artifacts that, that are here on the landscape today that reflect the, the history of who we are and where we have been, as well as the history of the landscape in which we live and how that's evolved. And in the work that we do today around heritage, I feel like it is a, uh, a recognition that we are that product of everything that came before us and that we will also affect what comes after us. And it's important for us to think about what we want that to be. Um, how about you, Sara? Yeah, I think it's about sort of placing different values on the past and understanding as Crystal just said, like why that's important for us today um, and into the future. And there's so many different types of heritage. Um, thinking about cultural heritage or geological heritage, um, we think about the past 
and we recognize it for different reasons. Um, you know, they might have like a value scientifically or um, a part of maybe it's for a family heritage, some sort of connection to our family. Um, and so there's all these different values that we place in different pasts and events or, or moments um, that's kind of part of heritage, I think anyway. Great, thank you. And Galen. Yeah, sort of in that same vein, I think in the in cultural heritage and some of the work that I'm doing specifically, I think a lot about um, the knowledge that different communities have that comes from storytelling and past and just the heritage of living in one place for generations and how um, that becomes a really specific type of knowledge about place and knowledge, especially relating to fishing, knowledge about fishing and, and the fisheries and just how um, that's a form of, like you said, Sarah, it's almost, it's almost scientific, even though it's not really. <laughs> it's, a, it's a type of scientific, natural knowledge of place. And what's the correlation for you three between sort of recognizing those various parts of our past and the present and even the, the future? I think it's important to, for us to have an honest look at where we came from, an honest connection with who we, who we are based on the people who have come before us, the landscape, and how that's affected the people that live here today, and really thinking about who we are in context with the place in which we live, and thinking about what do we want to carry forward, and then how do we do that? What are the critical pieces that are important to our lives today that we want to carry forward? I do think for in the realm of interviewing folks and, and finding interviews from the past, I think a lot about Maynard's relationship to just the natural world. And I think Crystal and Sarah both touch, probably touch on this, but just how this relationship, like the cultural heritage is really wound up in stories about where people went and their experiences of place and how that informs our modern day understanding of the natural world and how pe folks are often disengaged from it. And yet it's like the most important thing about um, coastal living in Maine and actually living in Maine in general. I think people choose to live here for um, because of the natural world for resources or for play, right? Work or play. Either way, there's this interaction, and I think I find in a lot of a lot of the interviews that I find that are historical or the interviews that I do now, the most rich conversation happens around um, changes that have occurred in the landscape or changes that have occurred with resources. And I think that's a there's something to that piece of of um, just how we interact with the natural world and what that heritage is here on the coast. I think what's really fascinating, like all, so all the work that we do regarding heritage, we all work on different timescales. And yet we all have a similar kind of focus in terms of connecting people with their landscape and the livelihoods they have in this landscape. Um, but thinking about it, we all, the work that we all do is all then on these different timescales. Like I think in millions of years uh, <laughs> versus, you know, Crystal and Galen, you two are thinking a lot more and more recent timescales. Um, 
you know, last couple hundred years or so. I love that concept of thinking on different timescales. I think that's really neat, sort of thinking on the geological timescale versus the historical timescale versus the like initiatives that are happening today in the region to help kind of launch us into the future, as Crystal was talking about a few minutes ago. So let's talk a little bit about specifics of um, the, the projects that you guys are involved in. And maybe since we're talking about different timescales, um, it would make sense to go back to the furthest back in time. And so we'll start with Sara, who's the geology person in the group. Um, the coastal Maine Geopark is promoting education about the geology of coastal Maine um, and how it connects to the cultures of today, how it's affected people's, um, how people have lived, how people have worked over the last couple thousand years. Um, since the last glacier retreated, and, and really trying to understand the importance of thinking about these long geological timescales. Um, and that we often don't think about how parts of the coast of Maine is over 600 million years old. And, and knowing that the geological processes that created, especially the coastal part of Maine, is connected to how different parts of whole of New England was formed, how the whole parts of Northern and um, sort of Eastern America was formed. There's also parts of how Europe and Africa, um, all these like past continents were all formed. And so our heritage is connected to this much bigger global heritage when we span out on these larger timescales. And yet we can also then zoom in into one very specific location in Maine um, and think about this very local geology and how it's affected the heritage. Um, so the proposal is that there's a, a general area in which we're working in, but within this area we don't own any of this land, we're simply working with local community members, with land trusts, with ongoing historical societies, um, and through these connections we're working with these partners to then promote geological sites along this area. Um, and, and at each of these sites, the vision is to have um, educational materials such as an interpretation panel um, or brochures. One day maybe have a little app, um, something along those lines. Um, so finding different methods to try and promote education um, throughout, throughout this area. And the region we're focusing on right now um, stretches between sort of Bath and mid-coast Maine all the way up to Lebec, following the coastline and the Route 1 corridor more or less. Um, and geologically, it follows the coastal volcanic belt um, because this whole region is primarily dominated by igneous rocks that were formed during these periods of volcanic activity 400 million years ago. So a little bit about background about geoparks is that they are connected with UNESCO. So currently there is the UNESCO World Heritage Sites, there's the UNESCO biosphere reserves and there's UNESCO global geoparks. So these are three huge models that are used across the world, um, internationally and globally recognized as leading models for promoting conservation um, and preservation of landscapes and cultures. However, a geopark doesn't need to have the UNESCO label to be called a geopark. It's very much just a sort of a model concept about how to work within a landscape to promote geology, um, but also primarily work with local communities through that format. Um, and so we currently cannot 
apply for UNESCO Global Geopark status, even if we wanted to, because the, U the United States is not a member of UNESCO currently. Um, but we can, following that model, because it, it really is just this unique model of both promoting education, but working with local community members, um, utilizing all that to help support sustainable development for a region, all starting from a geological perspective. And there's just very few models that do that. We're going to follow into the varying timescales theme, um, which I really love, which I think brings us to Galen next, who um, is plunged more into some of the archival stories that people share um, and also contemporary stories that people share about, um, about this place um, on the coast of Maine. So tell us a little bit more about the specifics of your work, Galen. So my projects with the first coast um, are very specific. It's a specific format where I'll travel to a town um, like the town of Lubeck. I went to Lubeck in May of 2018 in um, a refurbished Airstream and got in touch with community members and conducted a lot of interviews, contemporary interviews with community members and residents of Lubeck about um, work and changes that have happened in the community and concerns for the future. And so I would spend a month in, in Lubeck and do these interviews and work with a photographer to take photos and work with the historical society to locate archival tapes and interviews. Um, and then about a year later, went back to the town um, with an exhibit of stories from those interviews and um, an exhibit of photographs and a sound walk, which is really one of the things that I think relates most to cultural heritage. I mean, the whole project is kind of about our cultural her understanding of cultural heritage now. Um, but also the sound walk really goes into this idea of taking a walk around the town of Lubeck and actually engaging with um, the history that's there through an audio sound walk. So you'd actually be listening to um, voices of folks who might have worked in the sardine canneries that are no longer in operation or uh, sounds from the drying shed and the smokehouse that was down in Lubeck. Or I would narrate just observations about the natural world there. So sort of placing you in time and space, but also bringing into the consciousness, sort of the history of the last hundred years. Um, they also do in the sound walk, just a land acknowledgement of the Wabanaki people and the Passamaquoddy who have a huge cultural influence in the whole state of Maine, but in, and in Lubeck and Eastport, it feels very intertwined in a way. Um, the sound walk, the one in Lubeck, and I'm currently working on one for Jonesport and Beale, um, that really is an attempt to sort of connect folks with those periods of history and maybe some history that we kind of know about but has sort of been lost in the mire of nostalgia. We have a lot of, we have a lot of an, an understanding of it, but to actually hear the voices or hear, you know, what a where how aware was fished, that's one of the great passages in the Lubeck 
Soundwalk is a local community member who had a wear outside his house talking about the way that they would, you know, be able to tell if they were hearing in the wear and when they would go out and it's really poetic. Um, and so just some of those pieces that are part of our culture, but we really have lost like a deep understanding of, of what it meant. I, I wanted to follow up with something that you said that I think is really fascinating and I want you to reflect on it a little bit more. You talked about how some of our stories of places and people's relationships to places, I think you said they get lost in nostalgia or they get mired in nostalgia. And I want to hear a little bit more about what you mean by that. I think I'm really interested in in talking with residents and working with archives that sort of give us new perspectives on the the narrative we may have always grown up with. I'm from Stonington, which is a you know very active fishing port, and I think that there are really amazing stories about cultural change and changes in the fisheries and just the transitions and the evolution of some of these towns that get lost in our, our romanticizing of the past, which I do think is something that we do as a culture because there was, there's always, whenever I'm interviewing an elderly um, person who kind of lived through the 30s, 40s, 50s, there's this sense of everyone was on this level playing field economically and it was really poor. I mean, people were really living off the land and subsistence and pickling herring and all these stories that you hear that are not really happening anymore. But we do feel like as a Mainer, I'm like, oh, I love pickled fish, you know, like that's part of my cultural heritage. Um, but I think that sometimes what happens and one of the things I'm trying to to just explore in our in our shared cultural heritage is just some of the stories that are more about like beyond the romanticizing of the narrative, like what was it really like? What were the values of people at that time? How have the values changed? How, like the thing that's deeper than that, does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense and I'm, I'm definitely simplifying here, but what immediately was jumping to mind is there are, there are moments from, say, a tourism interpreter where there's like the three or four stories about a particular town that get told over and over and over because those are the stories of that town. But I think what you're driving at is there's, there's so much more depth and nuance to those stories and so much more emotion and like subsistence to how we live. And um, it's just so much more complex than what we sometimes share and the narrative that we just kind of internalize about a place. Yeah. And it's really interesting that you say that because I think one of the things that I'm inspired by in the work of Crystal is, um, so taking that, taking the lens from like, okay, we have this like huge global lens and then you have this smaller North Atlantic lens and then you have this like micro lens, which my project, the First Coast definitely does a micro lens as well on, on one town at a time. Um, but thinking about, I often find that the stories that folks want to share with me on a cultural heritage tour or a historical society are always like 
what celebrity came to town or um, what schooner went to New York City. And it's always sort of this, like, in order to validate ourselves, it has to be, like, more uh, modern or, or city-related or something that people relate to in that way. And I'm just really interested in, like, what happened on that one street for 100 years in Stonington <laughs> and what was the transition of that one neighborhood or that one place and the people who are still living here who had experiences with that. So it's really a localized story. If you're just tuning in, that was Galen Koch, a radio producer and storyteller with the First Coast Project. You're listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM and streaming online at weru.org with me, your host, Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant. Our show today, which was pre-recorded in early October, so we won't be taking any calls, is about Maine's coastal heritage in all its forms, be they natural, cultural, or even geological, as our second guest, Sara Gibson, a steering committee member of the Coastal Maine Geopark proposal, was describing earlier. Our third guest today, Crystal Hitchings from Sunrise County Economic Council and Down East Acadia Regional Tourism, picks up here with a description of the National Heritage Area proposal that is just getting started under Crystal's leadership in the Down East Maine region. Here's Crystal. Yeah, so it's really interesting listening to Sarah and Galen be, and everything that they're talking about really ties into the National Heritage Area. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to talk about how that kind of wraps it together in a sense. Um, so a National Heritage Area, similarly to a, a geopark, is a designation that's put on a specific area. Again, no land is owned. It's just sort of a, a recognition that a place, a specific area is special. Um, and in this case, a national heritage area, it recognizes that a, that a certain place and the things that happened within that place have um, affected or guided or reflect in some way the heritage and culture of the nation and how the nation developed. Um, so for instance, we have the, the sardine industry, the wild blueberry industry, the granite industry, um, the, the timber industry that all occurred here. And all of those things kind of helped build the nation in a sense. Um, and so they contributed to the, the heritage that we hold as a country. Um, our granite is in Philadelphia, our sardines and our blueberries fed soldiers and the the timber that was taken from here built cities so the heritage area national heritage area idea did evolve from the wild blueberry industry and like the geopark initially the hope was that it could become a unesco heritage site and again we cannot apply for a UNESCO designation. So we're looking at um, national designation instead. And as with a geopark, we can declare a heritage area here, whether it's nationally recognized or not. It can be 
locally recognized. It's sort of a, a, a declaration that um, this place has something special that um, we want people to recognize both locally as well as people who might come here to experience and learn about what is special about this place. So currently we're in a feasibility study phase. Um, so it's the feasibility study looks at where are those sites that still exist on the ground where these stories of our heritage are told as well as trying to define that we have the commitment from communities and organizations who would support this work into the future. A heritage area is very much a forward-looking planning tool, I think, and it's based around both local pride and um, engaging people in stewarding the culture and landscape that they live in, what's preser preserving, um, but using that word as a way of capturing what's important, not necessarily preserving it like a, a museum piece, but capturing what's important and carrying that forward in our future development. Um, the feasibility study, once we can show that we meet all of the criteria that are required at the national level, um, there are about 10 criteria that have to be fulfilled through this, looking at the, the place and whether or not it can carry the designation. That is then submitted by our state delegation to Congress and Congress makes the decision, the final decision as to whether or not we in this place have what it takes to be a heritage area. It's very much about a working landscape, people using the landscape and how the landscape is affected by the work that we do. So beginning with the geology of the land here, and once the glaciers started to recede and people were able to inhabit the land again, that's really when our national heritage began and as far as what we're what we're looking at through a heritage area designation and recognizing how the the geology the physical landscape of this place produced and allowed the resources the natural resources that we have used for thousands and thousands of years and still use today the geology created that it's a unique you know the soils the the, the granite, the way the, the, the bays and coves, the way they formed based on the landscape and underwater, uh, the landscape that's under the water. And there are so many special things that happened here because of that, the wild blueberry that grow on the, the sand plains. Um, and the fisheries are also very affected by the landscape that occurred here, not only because of the the bays that I mentioned, but also underwater, the, the, the way the rocks have all these crevices and, and caves and places for um, different species to, there's a lot of habitat, a varied habitat. And with the tides that occur here, uh, affected by the Bay of Fundy and the narrowness of the, of the bays, the food that, that pushes through the fish that come through and the food chain that goes up from that has led to a rich 
diversity of fisheries over the years, over the thousands of years. And what's really interesting about the heritage of this place that is most important, I think, for the heritage area, the theme that's really unique here is how people have been utilizing these resources for many thousands of years and we're still utilizing them in very similar ways, even though things have evolved as certain fisheries have been fished out and the timber industry is no longer as booming as it was, but we're still doing the same things. We're still fishing, we're still um, producing wild blueberries, and we're even still cutting granite, even though much more of it is used for, for art and, and local home building than building cities in other places of the world. But, and also many of the same people, the ancestors of these people who did these things um, hundreds and thousands of years ago, they're still here. And that's what's, I think that's what's really unique about this place. Even though we've evolved in time and we're doing things differently, we're still doing the same things. And so what's in, what the heritage area I think will, we hope that it, what we hope that it will help us do is recognize this specialness of this place and really define like what Galen is working on, really define those stories that are important to our past that help us understand who we are today. And then the heritage area provides a tool for community to come together and to plan around these things that are really important to us and think about how do we guide our future growth and development in a way that gets us out of that mire of nostalgia <laughs> and wanting to keep things the same um, and recognizing the opportunities that we have to move forward while still while supporting and building upon these things that we value about where we live. One thing that really ties what all three of you are talking about together is um, the relationship of people to the land and the sea where we live. Sara? Well, I mean, I think what you were just saying there about the connection between people and the sea is so unique. I mean, we are a coastal community and that's one of the reasons why we actually really wanted to focus our efforts here on this coastal region is because A, I mean, A, there's actually not a lot of information about the geology of this area that's presented in a way that's sort of accessible to the wider public. I mean, you know, there's so many fantastic research about the geology of this region, but it's kind of locked up in scientific papers and, and in a language that people don't always understand. And so that was one of the main reasons we really want to focus on this region, but then also because the coastline is dynamic. It is changing. The geological story of this region is still being told. Is still being written um, and our landscape is going to look very different in a hundred years which is why it feels so important right now that we are documenting these changes that we're involving citizen science helping us you know collect information and and sort of able to document how our landscape is changing um, and to involve both geologists with municipalities with community members 
um, all coming together and be able to have conversations about how this landscape is changing and what that will mean to like how our streets and our you know towns are going to look in a hundred years um, or you know even even closer. So this idea of like a dynamic landscape is just really interesting and fascinating and thinking about our coastline um, after the glaciers receded I mean it you know sea level was very different so first of all when the glacier covered this landscape it was pressing down on the landscape and all the weight of the ice was pressing down onto the land so the land was actually much further down than it is today and then when the ice started melting locally within this region the sea level actually rose to about 60 meters about 240-ish feet above present day so sea level was much much higher and that's why we have all these raised sea, um, sea beaches, um, like much higher in the landscape, um, these big eskers and moraines that are much higher because that sea level was much higher 14,000 years ago. Then we have what's called an isotopic rebound of the earth. Um, and so locally sea levels dropped to about 60 meters below present day. And parts of the mainland were connected to many of our islands for a short period of time. So that meant people could actually travel, um, you know, to islands in mainland that were just connected as all this part of the mainland about 12,000 years ago. Um, and we're actually being able to like map some of those paleo shorelines that today are now underwater, but they once were not underwater. Um, and then of course, slowly over time since that period, sea levels have been rising because of this effect of after the glacier melted, the isotopic rebound. But of course, sea level rise has also been increased by anthropogenic climate change. And so we're seeing sea level rise across different parts of Maine and coastal Maine, depending a little bit on, on the landscape there. But a great example, for example, is Machias, um, where they have been seeing, especially during king tide flood events or king tide events, um, that's now been flooding many parts of their, their town. Um, and because of the way the town was set up um, at the very end of a big valley, um, it means that they're, you know, it's going to be flooded in a couple hundred years or so. Um, and so that's why it's just really crucial to be able to think about these longer timescales um, to just be able to think about our future and what that means. Um, yeah, and what does it mean to be living in a coastal environment? Galen, how about you? Tell us a little bit about what your unearthing um, that that sort of correlates this human and community connection to the landscape and the seascape that Crystal and Sarah have been talking about. Yeah, um, this is so fun to hear what your what about your knowledge base, Sarah, because it's so different than mine and so cool. Um, I have yeah, there's been I think it's important to draw attention to the fact that my work is definitely um, in the legacy. I mean, it's part of the cultural heritage of Maine that we are a, um, I, I think Maine, Canadian, uh, the Maritimes, North, North Atlantic, there is this culture of gathering and telling stories. There's this culture of people um, sitting around in a local restaurant or sitting around in um, a house in the winter by the fire, um, usually 
beer or whiskey involved <laughs> and telling stories and, and sharing stories. And one of my favorite um, aspects of a lot of the ways that um, some of the story, the, the storytelling in Maine is described as, you know, um, getting, gathering together and telling lies. I mean, this is like, they're sort of mythic. The stories become mythic and then they become lies essentially, but they also become the myth and the cultural like backbone of um, our communities. And I think that's really amazing. Um, so in that vein, there's so much um, work that's already been done in historical societies and the recognition of the importance of main storytelling and that piece of cultural heritage has really been happening for um, 50 years, I mean, probably more than that, but Sandy Ives and the Maine Folklife Center um, doing that oral history work and um, different, in, in all these communities, the thing that I've been slowly uh, kind of realizing in my own work is when I contact historical societies up and down the Maine coast, a lot of times they'll already have a big collection of audio interviews because they had some local person who was really invested in um, getting stories or recognize the importance of the stories. Um, I think of Deer Isle and Stonington where I grew up is really amazing. They have 95 individuals who have been interviewed in that community by various people. Um, and you know, sometimes it's really fun. It'll be like uh, somebody brought the recorder down to uh, like D.B. Robbins who just passed away this this summer but you know he had uh in his shop that people would gather and tell stories um for for years and years and so um that is it's like built into the culture in Maine and so in that way it makes a lot of sense that as part of any cultural heritage site we would be continuing to to like build on that tradition um but I do want to say my work right now is um, helping to get some of those amazing artifacts um, and audio interviews, just trying to make sure um, they're getting digitized and archived. And um, the website, Main Sound and Story, that's an oral history database that will be launching probably um, within the next like six months, I'm hoping. Um, that will really be a place for historical societies can contact us to um, put those, to get transcriptions made of these audio archives, to make them searchable, to create a database where people can really interact with them in a different way. Because I think one of the things with audio that's hard is you don't really know what's on the tapes. And so that's kind of what we're, disco we're discovering, myself and the colleagues that I work with. Um, and also the ways in which all of those artifacts, we'll call them artifacts, all those cultural heritage artifacts are really, um, can really inform what we're doing now in ocean planning or community development. I mean, you really can hear like, um, what are the patterns that have been happening for the past 50 to 60 years? Are people talking in the 1970s about things that are currently happening? And it's so fascinating because 
the answer is yeah, yes, usually. <laughs> um, there's a lot of the same concerns about access to land and who's who and access to water and who's visiting and who has the right to the land and all of this, all of this really complex cultural development conversations that were happening then too. You are listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM and streaming online at WERU.org with me, your host, Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant. Our topic today is Maine's heritage, and we're talking with three women who are engaged in protecting various aspects of what it is that makes Maine so unique. You are just hearing from Galen Koch, a radio producer and writer with The First Coast and co-founder of Maine Sound and Story. Before Galen, you heard from Sarah Gibson, a native of Scotland, who's relocated to Maine and is now a leader in the initiative to create a coastal Maine geopark. And now we'll turn back to Crystal Hitchings from Sunrise County Economic Council and Downeast Acadia Regional Tourism, who talks about how tourism offers a unique opportunity to celebrate heritage in our region, while also fostering place-based economic development. Just a reminder that this show was pre-recorded and we're not taking any calls today. Here's Crystal. Yeah, so I think that what we're recognizing, and I'm going to talk a little bit about economic development related to tourism. Great. Uh, Much of the work that I do is geared towards tourism, but it's really about connecting visitors with the place that we live in. Um, So I'm really excited about the initiatives that actually that each of us is doing all, all, all four of us and and including you know this radio show which is helping to share those stories that have been archived and the things that we're doing in the future um, we're all creating ways for people to connect with this place on a very um, personal intimate level and getting beyond those you know, the four fun stories that the Historical Society walking tours might might tell and really getting deep into the personality of this place. So Downeast Acadia Regional Tourism is the marketing arm um, of this region designated by the state, by the main office of tourism. And uh, the role of Downeast Acadia Regional Tourism is really to market and promote the area to visitors, but the recognition has grown stronger and stronger that one, visitors want to hear, they really want to know who are the people that live in that place, and they want to understand the, the history behind the things that they're looking at. For instance, with the Downey's Fisheries Trail, if people are following that trail and they go to a specific site that's outlined um, on the map, they can learn really a little more about what happened there and the people that made that happen. And then hopefully what, what, what Galen is working on, pulling those archived stories out into the, in, into a, place where the public can more easily access it. And, and she talked about the, the audio stories and, and um, I think Sarah mentioned apps that you know, maybe could help tell the story behind it. Um, 
the, there are a lot of little initiatives, and I shouldn't say little, but individual initiatives happening in, in communities or in organizations that like what, what Galen and Sarah are working on where those stories are pulled forward. And the heritage area is intended to, I think, pull those stories together in a way that visitors who come here can have a more cohesive understanding of the landscape as a whole and the, the communities as a whole. How do they, how do all of these stories tie together? So what's exciting about the heritage area is that it it works with these individual initiatives. We have a lot of communities who are working on things like downtown revitalization projects, where some of our communities are really trying to bring the vitality back to those places that existed here, perhaps during times when these industries that we're talking about, these natural resources industries were, were booming and our communities were um, full of people and activity. And as things have changed over time, the, the vitality of certain communities has, has changed. It's gone down, it's come back up. The work that we're all doing, I hope, I think we all hope that the work that we're doing will help people recognize the opportunities in this place. I think the Down East Maine has had a reputation in the past of being a place where there's not much going on and maybe there's not much to do and maybe it's a um, sort of a, a poverty stricken area. I think we're working on turning those stories around and helping people see this is a rich place. It's rich in beauty, it's rich in um, personality, it's rich in history, and it's rich in opportunity. Well, I've I just been thinking a lot about tourism, coming back a little bit of what Crystal was talking about earlier. And I mean, also, you know, both the National Heritage Area and the Geo Park, it does part, in some part, does also promote tourism in terms of showcasing and celebrating these incredible natural resources and landscapes and livelihoods that we have in this area but it of course is a, is a balance um and it's not turning anything into sort of like a disneyland you know you put everything's a museum display like no it's these are still living landscapes and we kind of think about what all the natural resources that we still have in this landscape in terms of how do we how do we create sustainable development for especially a down east region of Maine that's not solely of tourism because that's not necessarily the answer um but no it's actually really harnessing these natural resources and thinking about the thriving and upcoming aquaculture um industry that we have oyster farms and kelp farms and um resources like that to really be able to help sustain our communities and i'll add just a quick little note, you know, in, in Washington County and Hancock County, especially the, the culture of this long tradition of um, like the original gig economy. That's how I like to think about it. It's like people are clamming, people are tipping spruce trees, fishing or uh, lobster fishing or scalloping or going on the back of a boat or doing all these like really there's like a real culture of a diversity of jobs and people doing seasonal work 
harvesting blueberries and it's a cultural it's the the 94 year olds that i interviewed talk about that culturally and the 20 year olds that i interviewed talk about that culturally and it's a through line and one of the things that i really um hope comes out of interviewing people and talking about that work especially in washington county is that people who come here and people who engage with these communities recognize the value of that work because i think that there's something happening in our culture right now where like if you work behind a computer and you work for a tech company or whatever it is suddenly you have a higher value and but i want to i want the that gate that that gig economy that fishing harvesting natural resources gig economy and this the understanding of what it means to live in a place that comes with that kind of work i just want that to be celebrated so i think that's one of the things that i am really hoping um this work does because it seems like those are really those are that those jobs are so important for our our localized economy you three are you're very visionary people and you're all very passionate about the work that you do and it's like infectious right it's super exciting to hear of your work um, and to hear of where you want the work that you're involved in with many colleagues and many community members where you want to see it go and um as we kind of wind down our time here i wanted to to think about moving towards wrapping up and um but one question that I have for you is maybe a, a little bit more personal, which is, I just want to hear for a short minute, like, what is it that inspires and drives you as an individual to be involved in this work? Well, I, as a, it, very personally, I have had, I think, a long fascination with what and again, very personally, what, what has made me who I am and what is important to me about that? What, what am I proud of? And sort of letting go of those old stories and how to move forward and <laughs> carrying forward what's important to me. It's, it's very much the same as, as the work that's being done on a larger community level you know, having moved away from this place, being one of those people who thought, you know, there's maybe something better out there in the world, moving away and then coming back again to kind of uh, regroup in what I feel, what is home to me, my, my, the place that makes me feel most rooted. So I came back here to feel, to get rooted and began working with the Bull Coast Scenic Byway. And that was about defining the story of place and the people that lived here. So it really paralleled, in a sense, my own journey of redefining and embracing my relationship with home. I grew up in Cherryfield, and interestingly, I'm going to be moving back to the same place where I grew up. <laughs> so it's, it's full circle. It's a full circle for me. And so that being loud and proud about who you are and just going out in the world and being this is what we are you know good bad ugly um and just being owning that and taking it forward that's what really inspires me i love it how about sarah or galen yeah i can go um for me um the 
the feeling of communicating to the broader world um, about what Maine and Mainer's story really is. I think that um, one of the reasons I wanted to tell stories in Maine, I grew up in Maine, I went to Salt, and then I didn't move away to become a, a writer, a radio producer. I really wanted to do my work here. So what inspires me about this work is um, the feeling that I have when someone thanks me for uh, recording their the stories of their grandparent or for unearthing a story that had been lost in an archive somewhere and nobody had heard it for a long time. Um, and the feeling that I have also when there are some members in the communities on the coast that members of the community on the coast who I think have incredible stories to tell and sometimes those stories do get printed in a larger, wider um, context. And for someone to see their life actually mirrored, you know, that, that feeling of seeing your story shared with this broader audience and also really celebrated in all of its complexity um, doesn't need to be celebrated always in like a totally positive note. Sometimes there's controversy, but just the feeling of seeing your own story made meaningful. I often interview folks who are like, well, I haven't done anything. I just lived in this one place and I didn't do anything. And my response is always like, well, uh, let's just start the interview and we'll see what you've done. And then it's this conversation about um, like Rose Gove who lives in Stonington who canned like 300 cans of food every year you know, when before there was really grocery stores on the, on Deer Isle and everything. And, and like, that's a huge thing. <laughs> like celebrating the little things that we did, that, that happen that are really seem mundane, but um, to me are really beautiful stories. I love it. Sarah. The reason why I love doing the work that I do is because it allows me to explore both the outer landscape and while doing that, it helps me reflect upon my inner landscape. And what I sort of mean by that is learning about the different types of rocks, just being able to go for a walk somewhere and see a rock and hopefully be able to identify it, not always, but maybe like sit down and try and puzzle out what it is. But that feeling of being able to recognize something that could also be a plant that you've learned or a tree um, or any kind of other landscape features or just simply knowing, for example, you walk past a historical building and you know when it was built and why it was built or you walk past, you know, you, any sort of feature in the landscape and you kind of know part of that history um, and you form this better sense of identity about this history, that landscape and um, and that, for me anyway, sort of helped me understand my place in time and in space. Um, and of course, I didn't grow up in this landscape here in coastal Maine. I grew up on the other side of the Atlantic in Scotland. Um, and I had never actually taken a geology class until my first term at College of the Atlantic. Um, and it was during that class that I was learning about how Scotland and Maine were once connected geologically. And so I was able to understand that we share the same geological heritage that I'd never known about before. Um, and today now, 
you know, setting, sharing the same Atlantic Ocean. Um, community, coastal communities are having to deal with same types of questions about resilience and climate change and adaption to that. Um, and so I think that for me is why I love thinking about geological timescales and how that connects to our lives today and thinking about the importance of really caring about our landscape and protecting it and protecting it for our future, but also being able to adapt for the future as well. And because we all sort of do share this same heritage, just depending on how far back you, you think about it, um, and yet can zoom in on this very local scale and realize all the unique processes um, that sort of shape the culture that we share today. I could keep talking with you guys for another hour. This is so fun. Um, for folks who are listening, who would like to get involved or learn more about the initiatives that you guys are working on, could you each share either a website or an email address where people can connect for a little bit more? Um, let's go with Crystal. People can go to the Sunrise County Economic Council website, sunrisecounty.org, and under projects and initiatives, there is a National Heritage Area page, and there's an opportunity to fill out a short survey and tell us what you think about National Heritage Areas, what's important to you, does this seem like a good idea, how could it um, potentially benefit communities, so sunrisecounty.org. Great. Thank you so much. And Sara, how about for the Geopark? Yes, yeah, so the information about the Coastal Maine Geopark is on a website called www.coastalmaingeopark.com. Um, and there, there's information about what a geopark is, some of the geosites that we're sort of currently exploring. Um, information has been updated because it's still a work in progress. Um, but that's where you'll also be able to find contact information. Great. And Galen, how about you? Um, yeah, you can visit www.thefirstcoast.org for information about um, the First Coast projects and upcoming projects. And um, we also have an Instagram, it's at the First Coast, and we share a lot of information on that as well. Great. Thank you, all of you. Um, what a great conversation. This has been really, really fun to talk with you all about this. Before closing our show, I wanted to thank each of my guests on today's Coastal Conversations for telling us a little bit about their work capturing, sharing, and celebrating the diverse dimensions of Maine's coastal heritage. Thanks to Crystal Hitchings from Sunrise County Economic Council and Down East Acadia Regional Tourism, who's working on the National Heritage Area designation for the Down East region. To Sarah Gibson, the native of Scotland, who's relocated to Maine and is now a leader in the initiative to create a coastal Maine geopark. And Galen Koch, our radio producer and writer for the First Coast and co-founder of Maine Sound and Story. We look forward to hearing updates on future episodes of Coastal Conversations. Thanks. Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 4 to 5 p.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. And we also encourage you to listen to our sister program, Talk of the Towns, with host Ron Beard from 4 to 5 on the second Wednesday of each month. The Coastal Conversations theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good weekend.